Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, I have to give a, a certain shout out to a guy I went to college with. His name's Glenn Minter. And it's funny because when, we, when we went to college together, he came in a year later, even though we were the same age. And he was a really good looking guy. So he was he was tramping on all our, uh, our, our chances to get some girls because he was a handsome guy. And we became friends on Facebook, and he always busts my balls because he vote, he's voting for Trump, but it's no big deal. But I sat there, and he was supposed to go to Springsteen last time Springsteen played in New York, but he got snowed out. So I said, hey, man, I said, get me one of those $10 shirts because there's something about those concert T-shirts they sell on the street. They end up lasting forever. People think, oh, you wash and they shrink. I have a police concert uh, show from uh, the Dodger Stadium years ago. So I sat there, and I thought he was bullshitting around. He sends me a message today. He goes, oh, give me your address. I'm going to uh, send you that Springsteen shirt. So I just want to say thanks, Glenn Minter. See, that as a Stockton guy. You know, you may have cock-blocked me a few times back in the day, but it's all good. Anyway, we have a great show. Uh, my guest, this is Noai, years ago, when I first started out Cooper Talk, back in the old studio. It's actually when it was nine. It, was, it wasn't Indie100.com. It was 92.5kyhy.com. And my guest, Lou DiMaggio, was, is actually on my website, coopertalk.net, is my fourth guest. How you doing, Lou? What's going on, man? Not much, man. It's, it's, I thought of you. I, we're going to talk about the documentary, mm-hmm. but I thought about you the other day when I, I was sitting there and I saw he has a great documentary coming out. Where did you go, Lou DiMaggio? And I said, I got to bring him back on. So you're back on. It's great to be back. So What uh, was the other station? KY? What it was, was, it was nine, like 92.5kyhy.com. <laughs> it was just too long. And I'm sitting there hey, going, it's 92.5kyhy, blah, blah, blah. But uh, now, now we were on when you were on before. We we talked a little about how you got into comedy. Now, now mm-hmm. as a kid, I mean, because I know you're a sports guy. I think I'm guessing you're a sports guy. I like sports. I mean, I I, I didn't. I mean, I played some, but I mean, I I was uh, I wasn't really into organized sports, but I played a lot of you know street stuff. And, well, no, again, <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like it, when oh, yeah. we were kids, it was like you went out and you stayed out all day and. Oh, you play in the street. Nobody knew where the hell you were, and we played in lots, and we played you know, but we played all day long. We play street hockey. On this road, yeah. and when a car came, you'd be like, car, you have to pull a net right. to the side. I never played hockey. I loved hockey, but I never played it because I couldn't skate, roller skate or ice skate. See, we just did it on our feet. We used to play it. Yeah, we used to play it in gym when it rained, I remember. Yeah. I loved that on the floor. It was really cool. So so you loved sports as a kid. Now, now, did you want to act as a kid? I mean, how did you end up with this career? Because your career's been for a very long time. You went from comedy to writing to acting, seeing a few shows. Now your kid's acting. I mean, it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. You know, I, I never... I never thought about being a comedian or an actor or any of it I, I i did think about music i wanted to be a musician i wanted to be a, a rock star you know I, I grew up you know i grew up with the beatles and all that stuff and from the very beginning i was like i want to do that you know so i started playing the guitar when i was like 14 13 14 garage bands stuff like that and then um when i got out of high school i went to a music college and and that's where i f- fell into acting and stand-up actually where was it at was it in new york yeah in new york i was going to school at this college on long island called five towns college which was uh like a version of berkeley like in boston a contemporary music i actually have a, a degree in contemporary music believe it or not not that i i use it for, for anything but um i was studying jazz guitar and while i was there i had to fill out a few courses you know how that goes you, you, i so i took a, what's the easiest thing i took a communications course or whatever and I met this teacher who became uh, a mentor, and and basically I I I ended up taking an acting class as well, and uh, she just said, you know, I, I what happened was they she they chose monologues specifically to the person. In other words, if you were a blue collar guy, she would give you something from whatever on the waterfront, or, and and so for me, for some reason, because she had this sense that I was a uh, like a natural comedian. 
she gave me Lenny Bruce the from the play Lenny. And so, you know, I went, I got really serious and I went and I researched and I got all the records and I really did it up. I did it seriously. And I, I realized that after I did it, because it re- went really well, that I could do it. I could do stand up. And then she took it one step further. She took me to the improv in New York uh, on her own, dime, everything. Took me there with a couple other people. But during a show, she leaned over to me and she goes, you could do this, right? You think you could do that? And I said, yeah, I think I could. So you weren't one of these people like, you know, as me as a kid, I listened to, you know, Carlin. I listened to I did Murphy. listen to them. I, you know, that's the thing. When I started to do it, I went back and I realized, oh, this was, this was on course all along. I loved Carlin. I loved Robert Klein. I mean, as a kid growing up in an Italian family, I, there were Pat Cooper records around, you know. Um, so I definitely was into comedy. And I watched all the comedians on TV, like all the guys that did the variety shows. I was a fan. Uh, and I was also really good at mimicking these guys. I was a natural. I had the timing and everything, but I never, ever put it together that that's what I would do until I did it. And then it just all was like, everything went like rewind, fast forward. Now you're on track. You know what I mean? Now your so. first night, cause, cause we always talk about our first night when you're on stage. And I remember I was nervous and, and I always talk to people on the show that most of us had good sets our first night. And then we got cocky and we're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I could be doing weekends here. And then you go up and, and you suck the next. Well, week. actually, most people I, I have most people I talk to say they have they bombed or they had really? a terrible set. I really had a great set. Um, somebody said to me, you know, well, first of all, you know, I had to do five minutes and I didn't even know what that meant. So I, I went down and I wrote this material. I went down in my basement. I woodshedded uh, and I wrote down what I thought was five minutes. I had like five different premises. That's what it was. I guess that's what I thought was five minutes. So when I actually did the set, I, it, it turned out that I the first time I ever did stand-up, I did like 25 minutes. Which every ass is going, get him off the stage yeah. for Christ's sake. It's but I was five. doing well, you know? So uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the, the problem with that is that you think, if, you have, if you're lucky the first time out, you think, well, I, I'm, I'm great, you know? There's nothing for me to learn. But of course, you have a lot to learn. You know, you, I didn't know anything about dealing with an audience, uh, Plus, the material needed to be honed, but but it was a great way to start. It got me going, and it really really quickly. Now, did you do it at one of the New York clubs, or where did you do it? I did it at a at a. It turned out to be the best place to to start, the White House Inn on Long Island. Okay. Where Eddie Murphy actually started. That's funny because. And this was the guy, the the Richard M. Dixon guy, who was the Nixon impersonator. So when Nixon resigned, you know, Nixon went off to San Clemente and lived happily ever after, or whatever the hell. But he did fine, and this guy, he was done. And he opens up this little restaurant tavern in Hicksville, Long Island. But it it just happened to coincide with the comedy boom. So people were going in there. He was getting, you know, that's where all those uh, Magnificent Seven guys were, Bartlett and Nelson and Hawthorne and all those guys. Well, you know? it's funny you said White House because you might remember, do you remember a club in White House Junction booked by Jerry Stanley? Oh, yeah. The yeah. White House. Yeah, I did Cause, that. Because when I thought of that, I said, oh, my God, this is probably the same guy. I did every <laughs> club in Jersey, man. I did them all. Jerry Stanley, Dennis Ross, You know, Ross all these Phil clubs Selman. where it was like, you know, they, they, they the, the funniest part about it was you'd show up to do a show and the audience didn't know there was going to be a comedy show. And then, <laughs> and then they'd get like mad, like, what, what is, what, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, man. So now, now you do you do it in Long Island. Now, when do you start to gravitate towards Manhattan? When do you sit there and say, you know what, if I want to do it, you know, because you say that in a clip from your movie about you had to get on a catch. And I know yeah. back then, I think it was Louis Ferrando was a catch, I believe. Or well, when I started a catch, Louis Ferrando was a bartender. A okay. Catch. I actually was instrumental in getting him his his gig. <laughs> it's a long story, but uh, no, what happened was I started on the island, and and the and uh, the great thing about that was I immediately started to get ridiculous amounts of stage time. 
I was I was already going up. I was getting weekend spots. I was doing emceeing shows during the week. Uh, just after beginning to doing stand-up. So I was developing very fast. So I was trying to get into the showcases and, you know, uh, you, you'd go in and it was very difficult and you had to stand online and get a ticket in the morning and it was a big hassle. And what I realized was I'm doing stand-up. These, a lot of these guys would go through that hell and then they'd have to sit in the back for two years and they're not going to develop. They're not going to grow. So my plan changed. I said, all right, I definitely know I have to be there because that's where the action is. But um, I'm going to wait until I've got some time under my belt. And that was my plan. So when I passed auditions at the improv first, uh, I was seasoned. I was ready to go. So I already had a plan. I said, if I'm not a regular here in six months, I'm out. I'm going somewhere else. Because I was working. I was already doing gigs. I was getting paid. And sure enough, one night I got a chance to go on somebody. I think it was Dom Herrera, who you know, of course, from Philadelphia killer monster act he didn't show up or he was late he was doing a set somewhere else and i finally got my chance to go on and in a prime time spot and i blew the room away and i you know it was like one of those things where you're you're looking at yourself it's like an out-of-body experience you're going this is the night this is the night you, this is the night you become a regular you know so that happened and uh i i worked there i kept working there probably for another year or so and then the next target was catch because catch was the club in new york city that was the place to be that was, uh, everybody went there, you know, celebrities went there, politicians, uh, you name it. It was like classic New York super media place to go. And that's where the industry went too, more importantly for us. I mean, you know, I wanted to branch out into uh, acting and um, whatever, you know, and, I, and it happened. Once I got on there, once I started to work there, I started to get other types of work as well because I was being exposed to agents and things like that. So it worked out great. What was crazy is back then is I know when you'd see New York comics, once you guys did, you'd start getting a shitload of TV because mm. you had, you know, the evening at the improv comedy on the road. Yeah. I mean, Caroline's uh, yeah. MTV. I mean, there was a ton of them. Now, what was your first, uh, what was your first TV one? Do you remember? And yes, then, I do. And it's an obscure one because it was a local New York show. Let me interrupt comedy tonight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, you know, when all this exposure <laughs> recently of, uh, of um you know this doc i i got a i got a instant message from do you remember barry mitchell the, the the guy that did woody allen he played the accordion i think i just remember, really funny guy i just remember glenn farrington has a, a clip he had a picture he yeah. had like the most hideous like blue or yellow jacket like yeah. that we all wore back yeah then. those 80s clothes I, I think i was actually wearing parachute pants <laughs> in my show but um uh so barry sent barry sends me a message and says i have the entire um comedy tonight which I, I i had somewhere you know but i lost it over the years and he sent me a beautiful digital copy of it because he's he's like an archivist and so i just recently saw it and i have it so yeah comedy tonight was a local show in new york on uh channel five hosted by bill boggs who was a a local new york guy was he also in philadelphia did you know we got richard bay oh <laughs> right 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 okay yeah, <laughs> you so. guys got bill boggs so that was my first one. And then I went on to do all of the rest of them. You know, I did everything. I always say, I mean, I did everything except for Letterman and, and Tonight Show. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I was just, to be honest, to be brutally honest, I was always afraid to, uh, to put myself out there. And, there. and, you know, Morton liked me. And the guy from The Tonight Show one time saw me in New York. And he said to uh, Silver, the owner, I can keep an eye on that kid. So, uh, but for some reason, I was just like, I don't know. I just felt like... Things were going along. I, I just I didn't want to throw myself into a situation that I, I was going to be too intense. I don't know. It was back then though. It's like the Tonight Show. I mean, that was the day when it the Tonight something. Show changed you. I and mean, yeah. if you went on, mm -hmm. you knew you had your your 
schedule booked out or right. someone like a uh, Tony Orlando or a Cher is going to pick you up and yeah. you open for him. So now you're doing the comedy and you're in New York. And now when do you sit there and start to say I have to move to L.A.? Or I know you ended up getting out of comedy. How did it all happen? Well, that was a lot. Uh, well, first of all, I'm in New York. Uh, probably the peak of the comedy boom is like 86, 87. And that's when I'm at catch and things are going great. Um, and I'm getting a lot of exposure. I'm getting a lot of attention. Uh, I end up, you know, William Morris wants to sign me and, and everybody's saying, you got to move. It's like, you know, you got to move to Beverly, you know? Um, and then, but there are people that are saying you shouldn't do that. You should stay in New York. You're doing great here. You know, let them come, let them get you when they need you. And there's, there's all these, there's two different philosophies about it. But, um, I was like, I'm going for it. So in 1989, I moved to Los Angeles. I went out in 88 for a pilot season and then I moved in 89 <clears throat> and I started working at the improv out there. But immediately, even if you're doing well out there in standup, the showcase system is like you just it downshift. You know, you don't work as much. You, you go on, you go on like twice a week, whereas in New York, you go on like twice a night. So I started to atrophy a little bit in standup. And I was also working on other stuff. I was acting. I was doing commercials. I was doing a lot of different things. Um, and also dealing with living in, in, in L.A., which was a bigger adjustment than I thought it was going to be, you know. Where's the first place you lived? I always ask people. Because people, when we come from back east, we think, yeah. oh, yeah, it's L.A. And then yeah. you sit there and you go, hey, this place looks great. And then you're sitting there and you go, holy shit, there's gunshots. Wait yeah, right, exactly. Like, you you know, every, everybody <laughs> thinks when you move out there from the east coast, you think this whole place is like a big candy store. It's so nice. It's Everything's pretty. Yeah, I, I lived in a place in East Hollywood which is actually now kind of getting better. It's like just on the border of Los Feliz and, and East Hollywood, uh, right behind Jumbo's Clown Room, as okay. a matter of fact. So if you need the reference point. And yes, there were gunshots. Uh, there would be people running through my yard at night, helicopters, <laughs> the whole nine yards, man. And you don't get, it's true, because back east. And by the way, I timed my move just in time for the riots. Oh, that's perfect. And the earthquake and the OJ trial. So the 90s was a pretty turbulent time in Los Angeles, you know? So you're out here in the 90s. And you're and I'm still doing stand up. You're by still the way. doing stand up. But yeah. now, were you going out on the road at all, or were you just? I mean, because you didn't seem like a guy who went on the road. A I lot. wasn't a road guy. I didn't. I never really wanted to do that. I did it. I did do it. I mean, I would, but I would like go to places that I wanted to go. Like oh, the Mets are playing in Chicago. I'm going to Chicago. I want to be booked. You know, and I, I would work my schedule around that. But I wasn't a road dog, and I didn't want to be. Um, so when I moved to L.A., especially, I didn't want to go on the road because my whole purpose was that you know I wanted to go out and audition. Um, work in television and uh, and do the clubs there, and occasionally I would go out and do a gig, and I I I hated it, you know. But um, so what happened was I I I just was going along and doing my stuff, and uh, and not really concentrating so much on my stand-up, which is gets to the story of what the movie's about, because I kind of what happened was ultimately I kind of just let it go, um, which I regretted. I always regretted. Uh, lots of different circumstances. My marriage wasn't going well. Uh, my career wasn't going as well as I wanted. A lot of things. It was just like a perfect storm. And, uh, you know, I let go of the one thing that I should not have let go of, you know? Um, and that was probably like in the late 90s. So you're doing that, you let it go. Because I also left the business, you know, it's, yeah. it's a weird feeling and the same thing, different things you're not going to write and you're sitting there going, well, oh. let me ask you something real quick. Sorry to interrupt you, but you're a stand-up, right? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was. I well, mean, are you still? Do you consider yourself a stand-up? I consider myself a, a stand-up hobbyist. Because people say to me, you quit. I had this talk with Howie Mandel, and he was all over me, man, about, well, I don't understand it. How could you have quit? How do you? And I understand. I get what he means, but and I, but, what, but here's the thing. What I'm trying to say is I'm, a, I'm a, like a born stand-up. So even though I wasn't doing it, 
I was still a stand-up. So I'm like a stand-up in exile in well, my mind, you well, know? I always say it's like this, because I see people on Facebook, which everyone's a stand-up. Their names say well, comic. Today, everybody's a stand-up. Yeah, but I remember, and I, I've told this story a lot of times. I remember when, when I was doing stand-up in Philly, yeah. If you came in with leg warmers and said you're going to act, we'd be like, get the hell out, of, get out, get out. You know, this yeah. is this is only for the comics. Right. And am I am I a stand up by term? Like people say, oh, he's a, he's a comedian or he's a stand up. I always go, well, I used to be. That's on the professional thing because out here you don't want to sit there and go, well, yeah, I did not get away. But I think once we do it, and you you've come to notice this, once you do it, once you get back, first of all, it's 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 scary. But mm. if you ever had any talent at it, once you get back on stage. It's like a bike. And people yeah. can say it's not something because you know, I mean, you know, you're one of those people, you worked a lot. I worked a lot. I was on the road for seven years. Mm-hmm. We knew what it was like to go up and do 30 minutes, 40 minutes, yeah. to do 40 minutes when we had 15 minutes. Right. You know, we we yeah. knew that Stretching thing. the soup. And and I think, so I think once you do that and once you've been a, a paid act, and I mean a paid act where you make a living. Yeah, I made a living at it for 15 yeah, years, man. You're, you'll always be a stand-up. But yeah. it's like anything. For me... You know, I sit there, I go, well, you know, I, I do it as a hobby now. Some people are like, oh, how can people be hobby stand-ups? And I go, well, I've done a lot more book gigs than you've ever right. done. You know so- what's interesting? Though? You make me think of something now. There's a distinction, right? So we're, we're talking about being a work a, work a day, even like a, you might want to say like a blue-collar comic. You know, you're, you're, you're going out there and you're just pounding it out. I think what I found after I left it um, was that there was a spiritual side to it. There was this essence of the fact that you're a comedian. You're a comedian, man. Why aren't you doing comedy? My my, this is me talking to myself in my head for years, and I was doing okay. You know, I'm, I'm I was doing, you know, getting gigs as a writer producer. Uh, you know, I won an Emmy for writing on on Ben Stein show and all this stuff. And I I was I, part part of the success of that made me think, well, maybe it was this was the move, you know. And and really, all I would have all I needed to do was just keep it going, keep the flame lit, just do a couple of gigs here and there. And I would have been okay. But it just kept snowballing in my mind to the point that I realized, you know, you're living a lie. You got to get back into it, man. And 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 the, what the purpose of what this is about, too, the film, is to see if that's even something I can do. Um, and I, we don't know yet because we're in the middle of this now as we speak today. We're, I'm just do, doing sets now and it's going great. I'm loving it. But I don't know ultimately how this movie ends. <laughs> well, what what was for you? You left and you said somewhere inside, yeah, I'm still a comic. Mm-hmm. What was the defining moment when you sat there and said, okay, one, I have to get back on stage. And two, did you want to do the documentary first or and then start the following? Or did you say, I'm going to start and then the documentary came to you? Well, to be brutally honest, I was always thinking about doing it. You know, It, it was always in my mind. Uh, and yet I, I couldn't get motivated to do it because I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like I needed something else behind it. I needed a support system. And you know, crazily enough, I did think of, oh yeah, this would be a cool doc. So then I'm having lunch with my friend Brad Kuhlman, who's the director of this project and uh, executive producer, is a guy that I worked with on on shows as, as a writer producer. Ironically, uh, I say ironically because I realize I get out of stand-up, right? And then I go off and work in this other world that I'm thinking that I regret. But none of this would happen if I didn't do that, if I didn't take that detour and bring it all back around. Because we had lunch, and I think we were talking about some project that he was working on where he brought up the he brought up Belzer's name. And I just happened to say, oh, Bells, I love the Bells, man. You know, I, I, he was like one of my idols in New York. He was one of the catch guys. And, and uh, we start talking about stand-up, and we start talking about the boom, you know, in New York in the 80s and catch and that scene and that world. And realizing, you know, that it had never really been with all of this fever, with all of the all of these comedy docs, no one's ever really covered that. 
So at first it was a conversation about, wouldn't that be interesting to do something about that? And we're just batting it around. And then like out of nowhere, he says, what about you? Would you be interested in doing stand-up again? And I was just kind of like, wow, this is really on. This could happen. Like, it's almost like, uh, oh God, not to get too, you know, uh, like the secret, but it was manifested. It was like saying, you know, I said to myself in my brain one or two times, yeah, I'd love to do stand-up again. It'd be great if somebody made a doc about it too. Like, you know, like that would never happen. But it, and all of a sudden in one day it was on. And this was only like last year, like, like in August. So you get the idea to do this again, get back. But now mm-hmm. in the middle, were you talking to guys you knew who a lot of you guys, you know, I know you're, you're probably in Scrovan's class and all those guys. Yeah. A lot of you guys went on to write. And that's mm-hmm. something that it seems like a lot of the New York comics went on to write and that, that that's where they make their nut now. Did you guys ever sit there and get together when you're out here and go, man, remember the old days? Why, why aren't yeah. we doing this? Like, like, yeah, you, you, you're making a living. You guys have houses. It's not like you're sitting there. You're not, you're not a work making espresso. You know, no. it's not like you're sitting there. No, but there are, but there are differences. I mean, yeah, he, he, I didn't do, I didn't get into sitcoms. Sitcoms, big time money. I ended up in a world where I did okay, you know, but it wasn't like super great money. You know, it's like, it was like middle-class showbiz money, you know? Um, so I, it's, it, I would occasionally we'd get together with him and Alan Havy and people like that. And we'd all sit down. Matter of fact, as recent as a few months ago, and there we are. And we start talking a little bit about the days. It's, it's you know how it is when comics get together. It's just everybody starts getting back into their ball busting mode, and you know whatever. Doesn't matter what anybody's doing now. Whoever you were then, that's who you are. Right. <laughs> you know. And, and they always they always stand up like Jeff Martyr, who always sit there when you talk to him. He stands up and it's like Dude, Jeff Martyr. S- by sit the way, down, you sit know down. he what a, wow. When I started uh, talking about doing this doc, you know. He he was really affected by it. Like it was because I think he feels like he wants to do stand up again too. I didn't really know him that well back in the day. I mean, we were acquaintances, baby. I don't know, but I didn't know him that well. He came out to see me. I was doing a ten minute spot in a bar in Silver Lake, and he drove all the way out from Marina Del Rey because he he was like he wanted to find out what the hell's going on, man. And uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, I made him I made him go on stage. Yeah, at this recently uh, about. Eight months ago. Okay. In this god awful Italian restaurant owned by these <clears throat> two twins who they're Irish. You know, they were, they were two Irish guys on yeah. an Italian and, restaurant. And it, it was right on, away we got a problem. And it was on Kitchen Nightmares. It was, it's like that <laughs> kind of place. And so I'd say Martyr. I tell the guy books it. And I go, Hey Jack, I go, You want you, get some balls and get on stage. Oh, I don't know, Coop. I'm like, get get the balls and get on stage. So I send the guy a book or I go, Hey, just go look up, you know, tonight or just Google Jeff. Yeah, Martyr. Jeff, Jeff and, was know, big time back in the day, man. And it was weird watching someone who I watched and it was sort of, you know, I always remembered him before I became good friends with him. You're like, oh my God, it was weird to watch him getting on stage for the first time yeah. because I know you went through that and I went through it when I got back and it's such a different time because as you said, you guys had the rhythm, you know, you were working two, three times a night yeah. in New York, even out here when you weren't working, you still were getting still on had stage. The, we still had the residual of that, you know, it was like being in shape. You and know? then when you go, I mean, he was away for like 15 years now. How long away, how long ago, I mean, how long away were you before you actually got on stage out here? You mean like the, the well, your like first time recently? coming back? Yeah. Oh, it's like, uh, Oh God, like 17, 18 years, maybe 19, even maybe like 90. I'm trying to think of when I, when I stopped was around 98 or nine. So now it's 2016. So it's like, you know, 17 years. Now, how have you think, how have you seen the business change? I mean, being (laughs) starting out now because you're basically starting out now, yeah. which is funny because yeah. people don't know who you are. And that's, no. what I, that's what I always love when I would There's do There's a great shows. moment in the trailer when Jeff Garland says, uh, 
I just want to tell you that uh, people want want to tell you that no one knows who you are and no one cares. <laughs> well, the best thing about that for me and was that's true. But yeah, but the thing is, when you once you go up on stage, because here's what happens, because there's so many hipster kids now. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, oh I'm are, embracing that. Who, who who are these old guys? You know, it's like yeah. they come. Who's the old guys? And then you go up and you have the chops because you, you don't lose the chops. No. And you go up and you have a a, a good set. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh oh, who is that guy? And then yeah. they're going, oh shit. Next thing, you're like, I don't want to follow him. I don't want. I don't want to follow because you, you get there because it's it's going to come back second nature. I mean, right. you sit there, and it must be weird for you to sit there because your contemporaries, like when you see the documentary, the thriller, Larry David. You know, you just interviewed Harry Mandel. It's not like you're getting some guy who's you know, right, you know, doing the rap battle in uh at the comedy store. You're getting a different. You're getting legends, which you were all embraced you, and that must be a weird feeling. If well, you know, I'm not. It's weird. That is a weird feeling. It's it's been such an incredible. Uh, I mean, it's like it's a wonderful life or something. Because I'm I'm con- I'm contacting these people. That's kind of what we started with. We started with let's 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 start with getting some people that I know that I worked with back in the day, and just seeing if they'll go on film and talk about this. And uh, to my delight and surprise, every single one of them that I called was totally down right away, and we started shooting them and. Uh, everything sort of spins around like it, it it becomes an organic thing because I get inspired when I talk to them for real. And, uh, and you know, this, the stuff that they put out, like they were very encouraging. And in many, in many cases they were just saying, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, you're already there. You already did it. Just do it again. You know? Um, but that part of it has been incredibly inspiring. And, um, and I think, you know, on another level, it's going to be wonderful for people who see the film to see these people talking about comedy and, and the, the process and experience and, you know, um, anecdotes, advice, true comedy uh, experience. It's just wonderful. So it's all becoming, um, it's just started, it's like a big steam train now that's coming out and has a life of its own, you know. So now you're sitting there, you decide I'm getting back. Now, where do you go from? Because the people you knew aren't, it's not like they're sitting there because, you know, Larry David's not really playing clubs and it's not, you know, you can't sit there and go, hey, there's people, the industry changes. You don't know people. You, you probably don't know what you're going to do. Cause I know when I went back on stage, I was like, you know, you're sitting there and you're trying new shit and you're, and you're getting a little bumpy and you go, do I pull out that bit I did in 1992? Yes, yes you do. And then you go, <laughs> but when you walk off, you go, holy crap. It's like, I don't think they even know who, uh, Alan Thicke is. Well, the no. thing is, is, you know, you find something that's evergreen. You know, I, I had a bit that I always used to do about the facts of my father telling me the facts of life. So I said, all right, that's going to be my, uh, my security blanket. You know, I'll, 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 I'll build everything around that. Um, and that's what I've been doing. And I feel like, you know, I, sometimes I open with it. Sometimes I close with it. Maybe I'll do it in the middle. It's just the this thing that's there, and it it doesn't make any sense. I can do sets without it, but for right now, I'm just just literally getting on stage again. It just feels good to know that I have this bit that is a kind of a tried and true bit. Uh, as I add this new stuff, because obviously it's all going to be new, and uh, what I'm talking about and where I'm coming from is completely different than I where I was then. I mean, I was I was good act but i was young i didn't have a lot of life experience i didn't i mean there are things about my life that i can talk about now that i could probably do a half hour on just a divorce right I mean, really funny topic by the way um <laughs> so <laughs> but you know what i mean oh yeah it, it's uh, you have those certain things that will work but then yeah. it's also you know and i think a lot of comics as we've gotten older is 
you know, it's a big step to bear your soul somewhat and actually share personal yeah. stuff. And what's funny about it is, is in the back of your head, you're pretty sure it's going to work. Yes. But, but well, don't you feel it because you've been, you've, yeah, because you have experience. But you do, you have that 5% that you sit oh, there yeah. and go, hey, I'm going to get on stage and tell this story right. and no one's going to like it. And they're going to go, this guy's a dick. Wait, well, I've never seen him on nothing TV. Nothing is a sure thing, man. No, even if you, even if you think it's funny, even if you know it's funny. I've already had that experience with a couple of jokes, lines that I've been working with where just like in, like in the old days, it's like you go up and you try it and it worked. Okay, good. That's a good joke. Then you do it again the next time, and it's like, eh, not not as good as that time. And then you're like, already now you're thinking about getting rid of it. And then I did it again a third time. This has really happened, and it killed. So it's like you're confused, but it's like, all right, well, I'm on the right track. I mean, I'm I'm the process is happening. For me, honestly, right now, the most important thing is to get stage time. I need to just hammer it all out and get up and get on, you know, get on as much as possible. Now, what was your first gig back, and how'd you set that up? And and were you were you did you know? Did you over-prepare? Because I think sometimes we do that. Either we don't prepare when you're coming back and you haven't been on stage for a long time. And yet, I mean, I, I wasn't a big guy with notes. I saw the, the trailer for the documentary. I know you had a lot of notes. I, I never really- No, those, are, those, were no, those notes were just those notes when you write stuff down okay. and throw it in a box. Because I never and do I, that. And I'll get to it later. But it's just like, I don't want to forget this idea, whether it's just a premise or a line. It's not, that's, none of that stuff is actual material, but it's stuff that sparks bits. Because, you know, you know it is. You think it's something funny. Do you write it down? Usually not. I just. I mean, there. now you don't. But I if you were doing stand up, you would. Yeah, I guess. But I was always one of those. It's persons. like it's like mining. You know, it's like. Uh, yeah, I was weird like that. I never taped my sets because I, yeah. I never sat there and people. Well, I just I never liked doing that. Well, that I did. You know what? You know why I didn't do that back in the day? Because I had so much stage time, I didn't have to. If I I would do a set and then I'd go do it in another club and then I would hone it that night. But now because stage time is so precious, it's I'm taping everything. Um, I'm going back and looking at it. I'm rework. I'm being first of all. Let's let's backtrack for one second. This is about to ha getting a second chance, right? To do this incredible thing, stand-up comedy. And so, uh, if you have a second chance, then you start thinking about, well, what would I do differently? How how would I be better? I mean, when you sit around and, and regret uh, a bad decision that you make, what do you do? You you think about, well, well, how could I have done it different? How could it have been better? Well, now I'm getting a chance to to go back and do this. So. I'm reworking my whole process. And not to mention the fact that I've had 15 years of experience as a writer. So now I feel like, well, I'm a writer who's writing for me. I'm right. like Bob, you know, I'm like Rob Petrie who's working for Lou DiMaggio. So I, I can put that hat on when I'm, when I'm you know, writing. And, I, and it's, I didn't have that before. I didn't have that confidence. So uh, that's really interesting and fun to work that process. And now, then when I go on stage, you know, I'm, I'm the comedian. No, so I'm crazy. I'm of two minds. First gig, where was it? And what was it like? Well, I, I found, I, I met this young comic uh, on a, I was working on a television taping. I was helping with something, punching up something. I don't know what, but she's like 30 maybe. Uh, so that, that generation. And, you know, they all have gigs and they all have rooms and they all, <laughs> they all do stand up. So I said, look, you know, I'm a stand up. I haven't done stand up in a long time and I'm working on this doc and I need a place to, to do my first set and she was uh doing a show at uh the uh ucb the new U the new ucb on sunset they have this big room and they have improv shows but th they also have stand-up shows so i said well if you could book me i'd love to do it and uh i she said send me a tape <laughs> yeah 
I don't even have a tape. If I sent her a tape, it would have been from 1987. <laughs> when you look like John, when you look like John Cusack. Yeah, it's like it looks like my son. You know. So uh, anyway, she was very cool and very yes, of course, I'd love to have you do it. And I said, well, and also we're going to shoot it. Is that okay? That's another thing I have to lay on people. Do you mind if we shoot it? I can't do that everywhere, but but certainly the first one back, I wanted to. So going into that, I was. Um, a little nervous. Well, I was a lot nervous, but I, but as far as the process, again, I wrote stuff. Uh, I, 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 like I said, I, I had that, that one bit that I was going to definitely do, but I wrote a bunch of new stuff and, uh, there's a, I talked to Colin Quinn, uh, uh, who is an old dear friend. I mean, I used to be, we used to work together and stuff back in the day, but he gave me a lot of great advice about process and, and about, you know, you write the bit down, then you talk it into a tape recorder. And then you listen to that and then you rewrite until you get it to a place you want it to be. So I experimented with that and I wrote some ideas down. So, and again, it's going to be a five minute set. This is all for five minutes. <laughs> so, and remember, my first five minutes was 25 minutes. Right. So I don't even know what the hell. It, but now I'm really going to do five minutes. So um, I was really nervous that day. I never got nervous. I mean, you get nervous when you do stand up, but it's that good kind of nervous. But I was really kind of, I had a little bit of an anxiety attack, which that's not me at all. Um, and I don't even know why. I, I guess because of the, I probably because we're filming it and it's got higher stakes than it would have had if I was just a guy just going up there and doing it again. But now we're documenting it and all that. But I, you know, I got to get used to that. So my goal was, well, let's see how you feel up on stage. You know, let's see if this thing is even going to go anywhere from here, because if you, if you're going to, your hands are shaking or, you know, we're going to have some big problems. So that's what I was most concerned about. And then I get there and there's nobody there right. and there's not going to be anybody there. <laughs> there was maybe two people there that were like, like, you know, layovers from some other play reading or something. Oh, by the way, the room is the worst possible uh, scenario for standup, as you know. So it's a gigantic, room it's not tight there are couches couches death right people are laying on a couch they're not gonna laugh they you know like it, it, you know the opposite of course was that letterman mentality of the people it's freezing they're like this they're watching comedy this is like completely laid back big cavernous room couches nobody there maybe two people and the comics i'm playing to the comics who by the way were great too to uh they were very supportive and they they were they knew what was going on so cut to i'm on stage i'm doing the set uh it went well i mean again it's hard to tell because there wasn't a real audience to play to but i did some new i did all most of it was brand new stuff some of it landed i felt really good because i had lived a little bit i mean that's a good sign you know i was that loose and i felt comfortable and i felt at home on stage so to me Overall, it was a big success, and it and it gave me the the uh, impetus to keep going. Um, and since then, you know, I've I've done some other stuff, and now I'm doing some spots at the comedy store, uh, and those are going well. So I feel really good about it. But I, I also feel like I'm not taking it for granted. When I go up now, uh, yeah, I'm a relaxed type of comic on stage, but inside, I'm like, I'm I, you know, I'm feeling like this is Saturday night, man. You gotta you gotta kill. You know, I still have that fire inside. I feel like that's that's how it works for me. I don't know. So the answer, I guess, to the question in a long, long uh, roundabout way is, yeah, the first one went okay. It was well enough. 
and, and I'm doing okay now. So that, that this is where it is. This is where it's at right now. Now, how do you sit there and handle when you bomb? If you do, I mean, you're gonna. It just happens. I mean, it's not like back in the day, you bomb, you can run. It's like the old Saturday wizard. What is you this know? bomb you speak of? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but remember that, like you'd have the, you'd have like a, a, a three show night on a Saturday. Yeah. And you go in, and this happened to me. I was playing in D.C. And I, it was a three-show weekend, and Dave Chappelle was hosting. Wow. I was middling, and someone else was closing. And I'm, you know you know how it is when you're in a feature on a road. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, 30 minutes. Uh, Easy. And he just smokes me. I mean, it, this kid's 16, smokes me. I get off stage. I'm going like, holy crap. And all of a sudden, you feel like a dick because, you know, the booker's looking at you like, mm-hmm. hey, what the hell? It's, it's garbage. You know, this is a good chance. Right, right. You go back to the hotel. The next day, you're, you're feeling bad. So I'm sitting there. You have to get your confidence up. Get your confidence up. I go in first show. I kill it. So then you get cocky. Right. You know how comics do. Sure. When we have a good set, we get, oh yeah, no one can follow us. And then I go up and I die. See, that's crazy because that's like golf. That's like you hit one good <laughs> shot and you think you're always going to be good, but it's not. That doesn't work that way. That's how comedy is. What is it like for you though when you when you had somewhat of a bad set because you're still new and it's not like you can say, okay, I screwed up right now. You have to sit there and go, well, I got to call some guy. I don't know to get a set. Yeah. Possibly at a place in eagle rock that has three people with a blender going i gotta feel i gotta be honest with you i due to the nature of the the length of these sets and stuff i haven't really been i have not died you know i may i I may do a bit that doesn't work as well as another one but it's going well i mean i I, i'm not ready to do more time if I, i think if i was in a situation where i had to do whatever 25 30 minutes that would be that might that might bring something like that on because but I feel confident enough with it, with such a short amount of time that I can. It's like it's like uh, it's like if you can't swim and you're in the middle of the pool, but you feel I can get to the side. Right. <laughs> you know. So right now I can get to the side. <laughs> now what is it like also? Because I would think because when I went out and started doing it out here, it's very different. As I said we came up with the comic mentality, and a lot of these kids are starting later. I call them kids. These kids today, these Steve. These kids, I'll tell you. These this. kids with the irony. Exactly. The story. <laughs> telling the stories. With the stories that nobody cares about. But I uh, know. But so for you, I mean, what's it like? Because you're seeing people who you have to get spots from. Yeah. Who at your age, you were already accomplished because you were working in the city. Yeah. And the thing is, I still, I think in these days, I don't think that uh, <clears throat> there's not being a comic back then was valiant. It, it's, you know, when we were back in the day, like being a comic was the shit. I yeah, mean, you said sure. To, but now it's like being a comic. It's like, especially out here, it's like, well, I want to act, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can do this because then they're gonna come see me. What is it like for you to interact? Because you, you were with. I mean, you saw the explosion of comedy when it just blew up off the map. I mean, you talk about that on the trailer. Yeah, about, yeah. It was on the cover of Rolling Stone. I was. Like, it was so great up. to be a part of that. You know, uh, I find to be honest that that the younger people that I'm working with, you know, they they get it. They get it, and they, when they see a guy who's been around. They respect it. They're 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 nice kids, you know. Um, I I I want to. Sp- I'm spending more time with them, but I'm I'm sort of in different places. Like that's the thing. I think that's probably the answer to your question. It's so fragmented and compartmentalized, you know. You got like these uh, young kids doing backyard shows and all kinds of stuff that blows me away. And yet I want to. We're gonna go. I'm gonna do that. I want to get into all of it. Um, and then you got people that's like have been doing it since I left it, who are m- maybe more kind of like where I came from, but also dealing with a whole new world of social media and what how how does that play into it? You have to have Twitter followers, and this is all stuff that matters when you get booked into clubs, uh, which is again that that's very Rip Van Winkle for me. Like I woke up and I'm like, what? You know, 
Um, I didn't even have. There were cell phones were just getting starting to happen when I left. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we used to have to go to the phone booth in the club to talk to people and get cocaine. Um, no, I'm kidding. That's where we had to go to talk to people. Um, so my point is, yeah, it's very interesting. And and part of me is just like, just never mind being a comic, but it's like as a documentarian man. You know, you're, you're, you're walking into this world and you're going, you know, it used to be like this. Now it's like this. And now it's like, what's going here? And, and I'm kind of uh, like a time traveler in a way. It is, is really cool. Yeah, because that's for me also. I always laugh because, <clears throat> you know, back when we were doing stand-up, you couldn't just make flyers. You know, like, like yeah. you had to sit there and get like well, a copy. Well, you know what? And the, it, was, it was the thing is, though, the flyers, I laugh flyers. now because there's like, they, they put the flyer on the wall and there's like, <clears throat> come to this great show. 14 comics and i go back when when i started out doing stand-up if there was 14 comics and now we're getting paid it was an open mic it right. was it wasn't yeah. like a gig now it's well like everyone lives for that flyer like for us we didn't give a shit well, now the it's flyers like, are still there they're digital now oh no no, no, no it's easy now <laughs> yeah. they just make they make you them like put that. it online put like, it on facebook like we didn't we didn't have that that <clears throat> access and even i sit there and think if you try to go on and work more or if you try to audition for someone you know we used to have to send a press kit you right. know, with your stupid well, ass tape. Well, but here's the thing, and 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 to be fair to them, I mean, they're they're out there hustling their asses off. We didn't have to because we were growing up. We were doing it during a time when it was the hottest thing going. So, I mean, that was the biggest slap in the face. I mean, I, I, grew, I grew up in stand-up when you'd go to the club. It was packed every night. You never put a thought to, can I get people to come and see me? That wasn't part of your deal at all. Um, and now that's all they think about. Some of them can't get on at all unless they do bringer shows. You know, um, all of those things are completely foreign and alien to me. But now I'm dealing, you know, with that. I mean, I haven't had to do that yet. I don't know if I will. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's a, it's, it's. There's so much more work that goes into it for them. I think with promotion and all of that stuff that we never even had to give a second thought to. Now, how is it the people that you're close to? How are they reacting to you coming back? Because also it changes because, you know, when you're writing, you're at home at night. Now it's yeah. like you got to go out. And, and as I said, gigs are, well, you sit there and you like for me, I'd be like, well, do I really want to drive to Marina Del Rey? And I'm like to do seven minutes in front of nobody. And that's yeah. the thing. And because when we're older, we're like, yeah, you know, my time is more valuable. Exactly. True. What's it like for you now socially? I mean, how's your family expecting? They, yeah. they were doing a doc. You're doing the documentary. Yeah, they're involved but, with but it. What's what's the whole thought of them going? Wait a second. Well, he's not going to be around. Or I mean, how is that affected? It's your a life big at adjustment. All? It's a big adjustment for them and for me. I mean, you talk about going out and doing that set at 1030 at night. I'm not used to that. I, I mean, I used to, or yeah, back in the day, that would be an early spot, right? And you'd be up all night. I lived that life. I lived, I lived a complete flipped around clock for years, where I was, I would get, I, you know, I'd, I'd get up at five o'clock in the afternoon because I was so entrenched in in doing all the clubs in New York. So I'd be out all night, and then we'd go to after hours clubs after that. So the whole thing was beat the sun home. You know, can you can you possibly get home before the sun comes out? And now I'm like. I go out to do a 1030 spot and I, I was like, wow, I was tired. I was wasted. But what I realized, but then I kept doing it and I was like, yeah, okay, I could do it. I could do it. Uh, it's back. It's there. It's part of it. You, gotta, you, you can't let that get in the way. That's, that's, it's a, that call it a nightclub for, for that reason. Um, and I never liked doing comedy during the day anyway. I don't know right. if you ever, did you ever yeah. have to do those colleges? I, I, I never it just did didn't the feel right yep. when the sun was coming through. Oh, yeah. You know? It's a thing. It's like anything. It's like when you go, when there's a time change, when you go out to dinner, you're like, wait a second, I can't go yeah. eat a steak at six. Yeah. I gotta wait till seven 30 because you eat a steak when it's right. dark. Exactly. 
Uh, so yeah, there, there's that part of it. So, and then my family has to adjust cause they're used to having me around all the time. Um, and, but they're cool. They're, they're cool with it. They, they understand that there's, there's rhyme and reason to it. And, um, and, and in a good way, they understand. I mean, and this is the, this is the overall thing that I really want to get across as far as all of this. It's not, this isn't a stunt. This isn't some kind of uh, grab at trying to figure out a way to make money because I'm not going to be making money at stand-up probably for a long time. I don't know. But what it is is uh, this great uh, experiment and uh, this great feeling of actually doing something that you love to do, that you got had this kind of weird love-hate relationship with, and now you're trying to fix it. And so it feels kind of great to do that. On that level. Now, would you start going on the road again if you had the opportunity? Like, would you do, I know a lot of guys would do cruise ships, you know, just because yeah. they get to do it and it's great money. Would you start doing something like that? Or is this something where you're doing it more for the passion or, I mean. Cause... Well, you know, I would like to do it. I mean, I would love to be able to have the option to to make a, a living at it, of course. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be in a, no matter what happens, I think I'm going to be doing it. Right. I mean, but I'm also going to continue to do writing and producing work. I'm going to, you know, you got to hustle anyway. Right. Can't just do one thing. But the mistake that I won't make is to not do it when when I'm on a job, you know, or whatever. But that's that's the that's one scenario. The the perfect case scenario would be, yeah, I, I, I start doing it. And I mean, I don't see myself going out on the road in a, in a way that keeps me away from home for a long time. But if I could pick and choose and cherry pick gigs and do a weekend here and uh, you know, uh, a week there spread out and spaced around. Yeah. That, I would love to do that. Sure. Now, are you doing a constant writing process now? Do you try to write every day or what, how do you handle that? Cause some people write in spurts, some yeah. do every day for you now, when you're coming back. And I just said, when we're younger stage time, I never had to crazy. sit down and write yeah, when, so back in the day. What are you doing now? Well, now I sit down. I, 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 my plan is to sit down and write every day and put a couple of hours into it at least. Uh, I haven't, I, because of other things, I haven't always been able to do that. But um, what happens is, is I do, I, I sit down, I have these bits that I'm working on, but inevitably what happens to me is right before I fall asleep, I get a flood of jokes and ideas coming to me, you know? So uh, it's hard. It's like a big puzzle. My stuff comes to me in a, in a in, it's like a puzzle. I get pieces of the puzzle and I write them down. That's the that's the thing that you really I really have to do. It's like a fleeting thing, and it's like if I don't grab it, it's gone. You know, I used to be able to maybe remember stuff easier, uh, and now so I got used to using my phone. You know, the the uh, the voice memo thing on the iPhone is great. I tape my sets on that. Uh, I also voice memo uh, ideas if I'm in the car. So yeah, I'm constantly writing stuff down, and then it's about harvesting that. So then I sit down in a formal writing session head writer Lou uh, sits down and goes through all the crap and puts it together and says, you know, here's all these ideas for the Costco bit. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, and I, and you know, and that process is something that is evolving as we go, you know? And what I love the most is, is I, I work on stuff, but then I get on stage and I add a joke or a line or a reference or something that comes to me in the moment. That's when I know, I'm on. It's it's back because I used to do that when back in the day. I, I I used to go on sometimes without a plan and just do a set, like a jazz musician. To me, that's what it really is, right? When you're that when you're that in the groove, you got all your stuff, right? You know all your stuff, but you but like it's like throw it away, you know? Forget about it. Get up there and just be funny. 
So whether you're working with the crowd, in other words, try to do an organic set where, um, uh, you know, maybe a bit that you do comes out of talking to somebody, but you have a bit about that. And then you weave into it. Like I said, it's like when a, when a jazz musician plays a solo, that to me is what comedy can be, where you just, you just, you just blow, you kick it out, you know? And that's going to take me a while to get back to that place again. But I, that's when I'll know that, and I've seen little signs of it where, again, if you think of a joke on the spot or you add, you embellish a bit that you're working on on the spot, that's what that is. That's you improvising off that riff. And, uh, it, that's how you know you're 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 on on point. So you're doing you're doing as you're getting back in this you're doing some as we said some crappy gigs because mm-hmm. it's just that sure. there is. What was it like for you to finally go back to the comedy store? You go to the comedy store where you know there's a good chance there's gonna be people there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna be packed. Were you more nervous because there's gonna be more people? So for you the payoff is higher. Especially I always felt when you have a camera on you yeah. when you perform. I always felt like for me when I would do those audition tapes, you know, you get your little camcorder and put it in the back. I would always feel if there was like 20 people in the audience, I wouldn't tape myself. But then I would sit there and go, that's when I have a better set because I'm more relaxed. Yeah. Were you nervous getting up? I mean, you see, we always have that little ang- anxiety. But were you nervous at all because you had the camera, you had the crowd now? Because then you, that's a real reflection. I mean, you're you're in front of people who are paying, not people just sitting there walking in when they go, hey, look, I, I can get a scone and I can watch a <laughs> stand-up. So how was that? Well, like- here's the thing, though. I, I the, We can't tape at the comedy store. They, they won't allow okay. it, or, or at least they wouldn't allow us to use it in the film. Uh, but I've gotten used to being taped. I mean, that's not an issue anymore. I have to, I have to live with that. Uh, but the comedy store I was more nervous about because it was, you know, walking into one of those clubs again. I kind of wanted to, I was putting it off and then I just decided to dive into it. I was, uh, and I'm, and I don't know why, cause I, it actually, uh, has been great because basically that's what you want. You want to be in a place where people are coming to see a comedy show. Duh. You know? So, uh, I've, that's I've been really enjoying it because you know I'm working in the ones that I've done so far have been in the big room and uh, you know they're not full but there's enough people to make a to make a show and uh, it's felt real it's like I feel like I'm back in a comedy club so that's good um, the ones that are weird are when you go out and you do the bars or or whatever there's there's a couple of them are actually good and sometimes it's just hit or miss you know maybe there might be some people there i mean i I did this thing in burbank this bar and this i'm standing up first of all i'm standing in front of a pool table i I know right there's no stage there's not even a light on me by the way the light is over the pool table so i feel like i should be on the pool table laying down and then I'm, i'm doing my set and some drunk dude just walks by me to go to the bathroom like right literally right past me and you hear the door shut and you hear the toilet the whole thing, and then he comes out, and of course I'm talking to him, which it was all good. And my spirit, you know, but see that's the thing. Like back in the day, after a while, that kind of stuff would be like, oh, I can't do this anymore. But now I'm like, I'm embracing everything. I'm like, what the hell, man? I need, I need every second I can get back into this, even if it's dumbass like that. Everything is valuable. I can get you a bunch of dumbass. Yeah, I know. Uh, you told me that. So bunch. He said he's gonna get me a gig in K Town, man. I'm, yeah, I'll, that's, that's I'll a cool that. little place. And then there's a, there's a place in. At least uh, I can get some barbecue while I'm yeah, down exactly. There. And there's a Universal Bar and Grill. They always do comedy there, but it's all comics that hang out. But it's see, the, we can shoot at those places, oh, right? Because yeah, that place, they're probably like, oh, wait. Because we'll, like, we'll we'll if we shoot at those places, we'll definitely have some low points that we can put oh, yeah. in the film. Okay, you have them. But now, now, yeah, exactly. So now, what's your what's your long term idea? For this documentary what i mean what do you do you want to get it done you mm-hmm. make like an hour and a half whatever what is your goal for 
how it'll end and how it will come going from doing radio, from doing clubs. What do you want to come from it? What do I want to come from it? Like well, you, first of all, I want it to be a, I want it to be a really good film. You know, it's it's interesting because I I I'm it's is a great experience for me because I get to to be in it and be the subject of it, but also be sit back and be a producer too. You know, and we discuss what we're going to do and stuff. And one of the things that we we agreed on, uh, Brad and I, was that you know we were going to let it fly. Let's see what happens, like a real documentary. And and because I, I don't know here, you know, what I wish would happen is uh, what happens in those great docs where something happens that nobody thought was going to happen, right? I don't know what that is. I had a kind of a moment like that with uh, Howie when I was uh, interviewing Howie. He uh, <laughs> He's pressing me, you know, and he's pressing me like, why did you stop, man? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So he's getting me to talk about that. And one of the things I talk about is, you know, the fact that, uh, well, you know, my marriage wasn't doing well. Oh, okay. So your marriage wasn't doing well. What's your ex-wife's phone number? He pulls his phone out and he calls my ex-wife. <laughs> and I had to deal with that. That was amazing. Brilliant for the film. I can tell you now, honestly, it was not planned. Nobody planned. That was his thing. That's what he does. And uh, it was great. So this, that's, but that's just a small example of what I'm talking about in terms of something coming up or something happening that uh that changes the game but even if it doesn't even if that doesn't happen what we're dealing with here is we're looking at the business as it used to be we're looking at it as it is and maybe where it's going and we're also uh watching a guy develop i try to develop again it's there there's plenty of stuff there you know um it's going to be good i think it's going to be really interesting i mean objectively I, i can guarantee that because you know also because of the people that are in it um it's just it's it's got, kind of got a life of its own and a rhythm of its own, and already even though you know it's not done, it's almost done. Uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it's going to be really good, and I I, I really can't wait to see what it, what it's going to look like. Well, the trailer's great. I'll be yeah. honest. And I mean, I'm a big documentary guy, and I sit there, you know, and I I know there's certain documentaries that are all propaganda, and there's some that mm-hmm. aren't. Right. Your, yours isn't. And what I liked about the trailer is it catches you because you sit there just the whole intro of you know. It was the time, the yeah. Rolling Stone, and it's all edited. And to me, documentaries are so much about editing. Now, people can see the the trailer at where have you gone? You have a Facebook page. Yeah, it's called Where Have You Gone, Lou DiMaggio. You know, like the Simon and Garfunkel song. Now, so, Where Have You Gone, Lou DiMaggio, face on Facebook. It's this page, so and the trailer uh, teaser is on there, as well as uh, it's that's become a place where I'm dumping on like all my old. Uh, pictures from from those days and and even new things so it's all that that's like all stand up and it's all about uh the film and it's all about where have i gone now now do you, do you tweet about it are you a twitter guy i'm a twitter guy i'm actually really kind of good at it but i don't i see i think like twitter <clears throat> is a if you're not a young kid and uh, it, it it's really a celebrity medium so i don't have a lot i have like 468 followers or something like that uh which are organic you know i got them through uh tweeting stuff out facebook is bigger for me because you know i get more response i i feel like twitter could be something good i love it i personally i like it i like because it's a perfect format for comedians because you can tweet out i tweet out a lot of jokes and observations you you tweet a lot of political stuff i do too i I do and i like it because we have to sit there and we have to condense it mm -hmm. we can't be like Hey, but a yes. blah, 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 you go. That's what's great about it. Then you sit there and you go, shit, okay, I've used an Amber Sam for an and I have to get, like, did this. It this forces morning. you to edit yeah. and it makes, the, and it, it makes it's, it's it better. A great process. We have about a few minutes left. Tell, tell us, what are the goals in the next year for Lou DiMaggio? Uh, <clears throat> wow. 
uh, you know, hopefully the film will be done and uh, it'll be done and out and we'll see what happens with that. In the meantime, I have to continue to do stand-up um, and I also have to work. <laughs> um, so uh, everything feels good. It's on, it's on, it's on course. Uh, like I said, yeah, I guess the priority is to get the film done, edited, and out. Uh, and no matter what happens with that, again, uh, this opportunity to get back into stand-up is something that I have to continue to to do, no matter what else I do, what are, if I work on a show or, or whatever it is, whatever comes. Um, and hopefully after the film comes out, the more interesting things will happen. You know, who knows? Now, who are some of the celebrities we can see in the film? Uh, we have uh, we have Larry David, you may have heard of. Larry David is in the film. Dimash, don't do anything that you don't think is funny. And we have uh, Colin Quinn. Uh, he's in the film. Like, all of a sudden, I'm like a hack impression. <laughs> Colin's in the film. We have uh, Howie Mandel, I told you. We have Susie Essman, uh, Joy Behar. Um, who am I missing? Jeff Garland. Yeah, the, uh, Rich Scheidner. Scheidner, yes. Scheidner's in. Rich Scheidner, the new fellow, comedy whisperer. Fellow South, uh, Love South Rich. Jersey Rich guy. is a great guy. Uh, huh? Rebecca Corey, who is one of the one of the newer people. Yeah, I, I hit her up to be on my show. She goes, that sounds great. Never got back to me. Oh, really? <laughs> I said, all right, hmm, maybe right. we can help you with that. That's okay. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm like, ah, Rick you know, Newman, like, by the way, the original owner of Catch a Rising Star, did a phenomenal interview. <clears throat> and we hope to get, you know, as we move along, we're, we're hoping to get more of those people from there, like Richard Belzer. He was already agreed to do it. We just have to track him down because he lives in France. Um, and then we have uh, Kevin Meany is going to do it. It's, it's going to be really cool. So we already have a lot of great people, but it's going to be even better. Do you think that when this gets done and younger comics see this, do you think it may give them some inspiration or some people that are doing comedy want to get out? I think it will help them want to stay <clears> in it just because to see how you've done it and you end up missing it and you have regrets. You know, my, 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 my thing... I, I would love for younger comics to just get a better sense of, of what the business, the history of the business. I'd like to teach a course in that even. And I think this will be a document that will, that will highlight a time that was an awesome, incredible time and a place specifically and a club and people. Um, but then has this added bonus of, of someone who's going through a process again. So you're getting... You're getting a lot, you know, and if you're a comic, you're going to appreciate it, I think. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Now, give give your uh, give your uh, Twitter and all that, all that good stuff. Oh, my... my <laughs> the Twitter. My Twitter is at Lou DiMaggio. One word, Lou DiMaggio, L-O-U-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O, at Lou DiMaggio. And I'm Lou DiMaggio on Facebook. What else do I have? That's it. Instagram, same yeah, thing, at Lou DiMaggio. So people check them out. Also check me out on tw uh, Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have a... God, I have over 490 episodes up there. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Say a good word. Say if you want to be a sponsor. I don't care. Do something for me. Give me some money. Uh, Instagram, it's coopertalk1. iTunes, Stitcher, same thing. Just coopertalk, one word. If you have an a Android phone, go to the Google Play Store for free. You can get the Cooper Talk app. And don't forget my other website because I know Lou also had a health problem with a heart. Well, you know what? I had my heart problem a few years ago. I, uh, I wrote a book, StopTheSalt.com. Remember, I was in the hospital. I had to change my eating. So it's 120 recipes, people. Easy to make. So, you know, if you're sitting there at home, there's no pictures. You won't get intimidated because people, we look at pictures of food and we go, well, I can't cook this. You know, so you look at no pictures and the ingredients are basic. You know, if you don't have cumin, don't worry. I have nothing with cumin in there. So you can go to StopTheSalt.com. Now, you can get it at Barnes & Noble or uh, Amazon, but if you get it there, I make less money. And then once again, it's all about me making money. So go to stopthesalt.com, buy the cookbook, 
And don't forget, go check out Where Did You Go, Lou DiMaggio, the, pay, the Facebook page. Where Have You Gone? Where Have You Gone, Lou DiMaggio? And it's a great trailer. I screwed it up. See that? I screwed it up. Where anyway. Have You Gone, Lou DiMaggio? And, See? And you and John Manfrelotti. That's right. That's we good. sang that together. So, people, go follow him on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.